0: Right. Um okay, so let's just do go. a very quick recap of what we've seen with Shon and what we've been discussing with trying to analyze. So Um, Shimshon was obviously born in a somewhat miraculous nature, um, beyond his miraculous birth. He's told that from the get-go, he's supposed to be a Nazir, and we spoke about what that possibly could symbolize about not just his role, but also representing his personality. And then we really posed two possible ways of looking at the entire story of Shimshon. Uh, In theory, we could look at it on face value. It looks like a... Um, in some ways a just a wild person, a person who really has no restraints and just basically does what he wants, when he wants, and that's one simple read of Shimshon and certainly some of the psukim seem to give off that impression. And There is an entirely different way of looking at it where Shimshon is doing something very strategic and recognize that the Polishtim are way too strong to fight them as a nation, as a, to, to unify the Jewish people to fight against the Polishtim would not be so practical and therefore what he does, he sets up scenario after scenario where he's having personal vendettas against the polishtim, and he makes it very clear it's only about him, it's not about the Jewish people. He does things which in some ways take him away from the Jewish people, so he marries a polishti woman and therefore demonstrates how he has no connections to the Jewish people. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm intermarrying over here, I have nothing to do with them. And then in that context, he gets in these personal fights, but they're really not personal fights. It's a way of battling the polishtim, and that is one another way of looking at this, right? So, either just this bumbling uh, giant of a man who is a little crazy, and many of the things he does clearly is painting that type of picture. But is it deliberate? <coughs> One approach saying it's not deliberate, this is just who he is. Um, the approach which we we're trying to develop is that there's much more thought going into what he's doing, and he's setting up a charade of sorts to disguise what he's doing, which is really to fight against the Polishdom and intimidate the polishtim, but without making it a Jewish people versus the polishtim type of thing. And he fought them many times in that context, and that's what we understood the first few, or at least one possible way of understanding the first few episodes. Now, where it gets tricky is where we finished, what was it, two weeks ago, and that is where we fin- concluded was that after the last battle, which Shimshon had a rather uh, decisive win against the polystymen, killed many of them, he then becomes the show fate of the Jewish people, okay? He becomes the judge for the entire people. He's their leader. Now, at that point, the charade of doing, of pretending to make, have a personal vendetta, making it about him, becomes a little bit more challenging, right? You can no longer say, I'm just a personal citizen, when you are the president of Israel, right? It just doesn't work that it's way. I'm sorry? Why can't
1: he be considered
0: like a dictator? It could be, but one way or another, whether, whether it's he forced his position, which we don't have any indication of, but even if his identity now becomes intertwined with the Jewish people, there's no escaping that. Whether he forced it upon them or he is elected, which probably wasn't exactly elected, but was chosen by a select few, one way or another, he could, it, it's very hard at this point for him to now uh, continue that charade, right? Are you all with me on that? Because that's going to play a crucial role, I think, for me in this next in this next chapter, right? So Shimshun, at this point, really assumes some more of a national character, and uh, because of that, it's going to be much more challenging for him. Um, I would argue to be challenging for him to pretend that things are being done personally at this point, which... It's going to cause some questions as we start this next passage, okay? So let's, let's jump in. Chapter 16 again, page 624. Um, let's begin. Shimshon goes to Aza, Gaza. isha zona vayavo elah. He sees a uh, zona, which we normally translate as a prostitute. That said, there is an earlier place in Tanakh where we saw a zona which was translated in a different way. And remember what that was a little while ago? Book of Yeshua, beginning of Book of Yeshua? <laughs> Rachav, right? So Rachav, who is the woman who allows the Jewish spies to stay with her and she hides them, she is referred to as a Zona, and we have a similar discussion over there. Many understand her to be a prostitute, others understand the word Zona coming from the word Mizonot, food, and she is an innkeeper. Okay, so similarly over here, you have many of the classical commentators assuming she's a prostitute, which certainly fits. You know, earlier in the, in the Yoshua, okay, we have more room to, to maneuver. Over here, everything we know about Shimshon, it certainly fits that this would be a prostitute. Uh, but it could theoretically the Targum understands it to be an inkeeper. Innkeeper, Vayavo Ela, and he either, if it's a prostitute, Vayavo Ela is to be taken a more in a more euphemistic fashion that he is intimate with her. If it's an innkeeper, then perhaps it means that he stays at her place. Okay? So, um, Let's keep on, let's keep on uh, reading and see, see what happens. Lazasim sim Okay, this is a very strange, how do they translate that? Lazasim sim it was told to the Palishtim? How do they say it? Was
1: said to it was said to the It was said to the
0: Pelishtim. Okay, right? Because it's interesting. It doesn't say who said to the Polishtim, but it was said to the Polishtim. Ba Shimshon Hena, that Shimshon is here. and they surrounded... And they ambushed all night, bisharir by the gate of the city. In other words, it's clear they don't know where he is. They know he's in the city. They know Shimshon's in the in the vicinity, and therefore they all gather by the gates. and they whisper, they plan, they scheme the entire night, saying ad or haboker. Va har har and we're gonna wait until the morning because we're gonna assume that Shimshon, if he's here, whatever, you know, if he's here overnight, he's not gonna leave until the morning. We're gonna wait here, and by the early morning when he comes out, we are going to kill him. We're tired of him. We're going to take him out.
1: I, it's, I mean, it feels like a, um, a comedy show. It's like a sitcom. Like these guys keep killing this one guy, keep killing all these thousands of and these people. Are like yeah, we're gonna kill him. You feel like the story is just gonna happen over again. Like, and what, like what makes them think that they're better than the people that died in his
0: hand well they're ambushing him and they're hoping for the best I mean the alternative is let yeah, him maybe, go wild right so that's obviously I mean, not enough possibility
1: him, so like, right. 3,000 men at one time
0: it's not like right right 100% but the alternative would be to let him go loose and that they obviously can't tolerate so they're ambushing him they're hoping to kill him and they're waiting but the question that some of the commentators point to is who told them that he's actually there and the mobim suggests you know who told them that Shimshon was there Shimshon Lazasim Lamar, it's Shimshon, ensure that the people of Aza know. Shimshon is going ahead and setting up. Once again, one of these scenarios where he is going to draw the attention of the Pelishtim and he is doing this deliberately, meaning it is not happenstance that he ends up in Aza. It's not that he perhaps woke up one morning and decided, I need to be with a prostitute in Gaza. Instead, he is there very much on a mission and therefore he goes and he himself, it was told, who told them? He told them, he wanted to, he wanted to ensure that they would know he's there in order to pull off the feet that he's about to pull off. So it could be. It could be. Um, it is interesting that it's not we, we have no indication of how else they know he's there. Let's see, let's see what he does and it's we'll come back to the question. The whole
1: part of that song, it's just, who cares? I just say he was there and good. You know, well,
0: let me frame what you're saying in a different way. Well, let's finish the story, see what he was doing, and then come back to that because I think yeah, I want to come back to that. So Shimshon is not going to be, especially if he's the one who is telling them, then he certainly knows they're waiting for him. So he sleeps until midnight. Keep in mind back then there are no street lights. Uh, if you're walking around at midnight, nobody sees you. It's pitch black, okay? He gets up in the middle of the night. He picks up. He holds on to the doors and the doorway of the city. He takes all of the metal. He basically takes this entire structure, the gates of the city. Okay, Chazal have a whole long discussion about how how big they are. We could assume whatever measurement you want to give, they can't be tiny, right? They're obviously quite large. And Shimshon, using some great strength, goes ahead and lifts them up. And he lifts them to the top of the mountain, which is by Chevron. Okay. It is a very far walk. It's a forty mile walk, actually. Okay? Which is which is quite significant, right? So obviously, um, what is he doing over here? He I mean, how would you what's what's his purpose over here?
1: Paste them. Sorry? Put fear in them.
0: Put fear in them, right? I mean, this is a very intimidating thing. Basically, you know, again, ass- assuming you take the Malvums approach. He's in the city, he is he wants them to know he's there. And he's basically sticking it to them. He's saying, not only am I here, but I'm going to go ahead and take the gates of the city which you're waiting by, and I'm going to lift those up and put them all the way in Hebron, walking through. And again, the Palishtim were quite powerful. He's probably walking by Palishti, communities right now, this, imagine this hulking figure walking around with these huge metal doors, it's quite the sight when you think about it, right? And so obviously, like you're saying, it's a really intimidating message, and then he places them, psh, drops them down on the mountains of Hebron as a way of intimidating the Pelishtim, right? And that seems to be the shot of what's going on over here, that he is um, really trying to intimidate, and that's, and that's his goal, okay? Um, his goal is there, he's there in order to uh, dupe them, to trick them, and ultimately to intimidate them. Okay, I still need to come back to your question. I want to share a completely different approach, which is a fascinating one. Um, Rabbi Francis Nataf, a very creative thinker, suggests the following idea. He suggests, and this is a broader discussion about Shimshon, but he suggests that Shimshon's goal all along was never to be the true leader, right? If you keep in mind where, where where Dan falls out in the Shvatim, Dan is really, you know, and when the tribes traveled in the Midbar, where would Dan travel? at the end right they'd be all the way in the back they are the least significant of the tribes or at least significant of the shvatim who's in the front Yehuda, right which we know from Yehuda is supposed to be the kings they're the ones who are supposed to step up and they're the ones who are supposed to defend the jewish people right so what he suggests is that what is going on over here is this is not only a way of intimidating the polishtim but think about where he goes where does he take these doorposts he takes them to chevron chevron is the unofficial capital for the tribe for the Shaite of Yehuda, Aza by the way is also in Yehuda and it 's an area which, the Yehu- which which the tribe of Yehuda never captured they were supposed to capture okay um, so what we have over here is this is not only meant to be an intimidation against the Pelishtim, but really what you, what, what is trying to get across in a much broader sense is a way of sticking uh, not sticking it but perhaps giving a very strong message to the tribe of Yehuda, to the Shave of Yehuda'm saying that. I, I don't want to be a leader. This is not my role. I'm not supposed to be the leader. What we're waiting for is ultimately Malchus from Yehuda. We're waiting for the true leadership, is supposed to come from the tribe of Yehuda. And you guys are not doing anything. And therefore, what he's doing and perhaps doing all along is trying to get them going, right? And keep in mind, where's the, where the friction in the story? L- last chapter, for those of you who are here, was with the tribe of Yehuda. Could be coincidental, but again, there's this – all of Yura comes, they, they're able to mobilize. Remember how many people came to – again, I don't know if everyone's here, but there's a pretty large group. There was a, what, a thousand? I think three a thousand? thousand. Three thousand. Thank you very much. Three thousand troops are able to gather to go get Shimshon. But three thousand troops are not able to, to go get together to go fight the Palishtim, right? So this is essentially – what he's trying to demonstrate to them is this is backward. I'm done. I got nothing. You are supposed to be the leaders. You're supposed to be the real Shoftim. Right? And therefore, he is demonstrating that to them. By the way, what do gates always represent in ancient times? What, what took place by the gates of the city? Trade. Trade and? The shoftim v'shotim. Sorry? The elders would say. The elders, exactly. Shoftim v'shotim Titlcha. You're supposed to put shoftim in the gates of your city. Right? So again, perhaps it's not coincidental that the gates over here, yes, it certainly is intimidating as the balishtim. But he's also trying to give a message. I got this. the ball rolling. But where are you, Yehuda? You're supposed to be stepping up. And that perhaps is part of a broader part of um, the, the mission of, of, of Shimshon. Now, all of that explains why he's in the city, why he tricks them, and why he grabs the gates. What it does not explain is what R was bringing up before. What's with the Zona, right? Certainly if you take it at face value, and even if you don't take it at face value, the fact the Torah writes in that way certainly gives you that impression it doesn't seem to make too much sense. Why is he? Why is that part of the narrative over here? Meaning in the it earlier showed, stories, I mean,
1: it, it could show that like even when he's weak, and he's strong. Like even if he doesn't have his his um, testosterone. It's just he's he's still able to. Okay. Show, feel his strength.
0: Okay, could be, could be, um, it, it could be, um, we, you know, we. Fine, that, that could be, um, you know, but it certainly is interesting that, you know, the earlier scenarios, earlier episodes, he got involved with relationships with Kalishtim as a pretext for a war. But the relationship was part, uh, or not a war, but some form of attack. Over here, there's no connection between what he's doing there and what he ultimately does. So it could be to show his strength. I'm not sure why the Navi would want to do that for us, why that's important to the narrative. To me, it seems a little backward. It's, not, it's unimportant. Um, parenthetically, by the way. Every time that we saw Shimshon use his strength, what did we see? There was a certain terminology used. Okay. God came upon him. That's right. Every time Shimshon uses his strength, it says there was a Ruach Hashem, Ruach Hashem. This is the first time we don't find a Ruach Hashem. And actually what we do see are Chazal, even if you take that more positive approach, which I think the earlier text does seem to indicate, our tra- the tradition is that at this point there's a bit of a downturn, and a significant downturn. And really, perhaps there was initially a gen, as we pointed out before. Earlier, it was easier for him to get involved in the polishtim and say, hey, look, it's not about the Jewish people, it's about me. Once he's the shofaits, that whole storyline falls away. And if he's still going to be intimate with polishtim, if he's still going to be involved in these things— There is no excuse anymore. There is no way to justify what he's doing, and really, in some way, Shimshon is really slipping away. And I think we see that quite, as we'll continue, we'll see that quite clearly. Shimshon, while the first few episodes, as crazy as they are, outlandish as they are, he's marrying a Polishti woman and all that, it's all justified, it's all being done as a way of fighting the Polishtim. Over here, it gets a lot more difficult to justify, okay? Uh, Perhaps one last piece. Uh, to understand what's taking place over here. Uh, another interesting theory, and we'll see if uh, it could be um, followed through, but there is a sense, Rabbi Chaim Jackter, um out of uh, Tinek, I think it is. Anyway, but he wants to argue um, that throughout, and especially now, you find Shimshon being alienated by the Jewish people. And think about, I'll mention one, one important piece. Can I borrow your piece? When, when, even when he's, we're told where he starts, where all the Shoftim have locations. If you notice, although there's been a lot of geography, there's a reason that the opening of your Tanakh over there has a map. Because all the Shoftim are always told exactly where they are, where they're fighting the battles. But when it comes to Shimshon, what does it say about him? It says that he started... It doesn't give. What does it say? It says. Um, it says. The opening chapter. The spirit of God rested upon him. It doesn't give a location. It says he's between two locations. Right? There's something about Shimshon which is almost, and we certainly saw that in the beginning that he's not really doesn't feel connected. Well, then he becomes a Shofi But it seems now that he's almost slipping away from that as well. There's a certain alienation. He doesn't really have a home. He doesn't really have a place. He doesn't have a connection. And part of that causes him to look for other places to find that comfort. And the greatest example of that is really going to be this very tragic section, we all, which we all know, but we'll hopefully learn a little bit better. And that is with the famous or infamous Lila, okay? Um, and let's, 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 let's see what happens over here. Vahiyach, and and to keep that in mind, this idea of alienation, this idea of loneliness that perhaps is propelling Shimshon to move away, right? He's, he's elected official, he has a very prestigious job, but it's not for him. He's not, whether it's because he thinks Yehuda on a very lofty level, he thinks Yehuda should be taking over, or perhaps there's another element to it, and that is his own personal just not feeling connected to the Jewish people, feeling, again, we spoke about the impulse of is that wild, untamable person that's not a person that, that connects easily to society. That's a person that is very much on their own and living that lonely life. He's incapable of really feeling at home with the Jewish people. So let's see, let's see what happens and what is his ultimate downfall, which will begin today and we will not finish until next week. But he, Acharychain, and it was after that. And by saying those words, it demonstrates that there's a connection. And again, our sages see a connection in the sense that um, just like he sinned, although he, he accomplished some good in that last episode, scaring the polishtim perhaps giving a message to those of the tribe of Yehuda, but he also sinned. But Yeach was after that, meaning he continues on that negative path. He loved a woman. Right? This is the first time that we find him actually having a relationship with a foreign woman. Until now, right, the first time that he was involved, he saw her and he said she was good, right? It almost seems very uh, intellectual, or, but there's nothing, it's not love, right? The Zona, he's just intimate with her. Over here, he seemingly is falling in love with a Polishti woman. What does that say about Shimshon? Certainly that he seems to be slipping away, but also to Rabbi Jachter's suggestion, perhaps if we want to paint, if we want to put ourselves in his shoes a little bit, we have right now an individual who's feeling rather alienated and looking for some solace, someone to connect to, right? Um, one, one last, it is worth noting um, that it doesn't say anywhere that she is a Polishti, right? Um, there are those, Rav actually quotes, and there are those who su- suggest that she actually was born Jewish and went away from the Jewish people, okay? Which just further fits the companionship, that Shimshon is looking for, right? He is also someone who is very much part, but is kind of moving away. Doesn't have that sense of connection. And one more point: to that whether you say she's Jewish or not, where does she live? What is Nachal Sorek? It's a. Is it really okay? Um, but it's 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 a wadi. It's a large area. Nachal Sorek is not a place. Nachal Sorek is a, not a region. But it's it's basically if you live in Nachal Sorek, you don't live somewhere. That's not a city. Meaning there are cities that are next to Nachal but essentially it is stream of water. So by saying she lives in Nachal we're also saying it's somebody who is also not really settled. It's also someone who's kind of living all over the place. Perhaps if we were, again, to imagine, you know, I have to get the, the imagery of whatever... I forgot that, whatever movie it was. But whatever it was, but you know, that, that image of... what of, of, We're speaking about someone who's probably another, a wild person as well. Someone who's kind of living on their own, on the frontier, on their own, and not really having a set location. Again, and kind of being compatible to the rather lonely Shimshon. Okay? Um, fine. Let's go a little bit, uh, a little bit further. Um, okay. Vayalu elah felishtim. Okay, they're married. We don't know anything about the marriage other than the fact that he, at this point, is in love with either a Polishti or certainly someone who's not connected to the Jewish people, someone who's an outcast of sorts. The, 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 the Polishtim at this point in history were led not by a king, but by princes. According, according to our tradition, they had five princes who led them, right? So it's five tribal uh, chiefs that were leading the Polishtim, and they themselves go to her. You can imagine put yourselves in her shoes at this point she 's not just being uh, getting a messenger sent to her. the leaders of the entire powerful Palishti group come to meet with her Vayomlan and they say to her oso to do him trick him gadol, to find out what is the source of his great strength Uva nu and how we 'd be able to overcome him Vasar nuhula no so we will trap him in order to afflict him. Notice how they don't say to kill him, right? They're trying to, uh, sorry? Well, perhaps torture him, but they're also perhaps mentioning for her sake, right? We don't really know anything about the relationship. Obviously, we have a very negative depiction of Delilah, right? And obviously, at the end of the day, she does sell him to the Pelishtim, right? But, If it was just that, then they could have just jumped to the fact that we're going to just cut his head off, right? The fact that they say we're going to—we won't kill him does speak to—seems to indicate it's a little more complex, as we can imagine in real life it is. She's doing something deviant and devious over here, and at the same time, she doesn't want to go ahead and have her husband killed. So she allows herself, as we'll see in a second, to be bribed, but she doesn't want it to be— to the nth degree of, of, of evil, okay? We will give you each each of us, there's five of them, we're each going to give you 1,100 pieces of silver, okay? I don't know how they picked that number. I'm sure there's some deeper reasons, but they're going to give 1,100 each, so she's going to walk away with 5,500 pieces of silver, Not a bad uh, parnasa. okay? So basically, she is bribed um, to find out what is the source of his strength. And that's a question, by the way, we're going to have to come back to because when we started this entire passage, was there any indication in the Torah that if he violates the rules of Naziris that he would lose his strength? No, nothing, right? So as far as we're concerned, there is no way for him to lose his strength. Not just us, but does Shimshon even know that there is, right, practically, right, what's the deal over here, right, I mean, we know what's going to happen over here, that ultimately his hair is going to be cut, I'm not not, a spoiler alert over here, everyone knows this, his hair's going to get cut, and he's going to lose his strength, did Shimshon know that there's a way to lose his strength? I'm not sure, right, I I have no indication in anywhere that that was the case, he knew he had to be a Nazir, and that's it, and if he violated it, he sinned, right, every time you violate it, you lose, like, your powers, you know, not Maybe necessarily.
1: Maybe connected Nasiris
0: with his strength. It could be. It could be he came to that. It could be he, he intuited that, that it has to be that my strength is coming because of the, the special other laws that I had. It, it's possible that he came to that conclusion. Um, and and again, if that is the case, then again, we have to ask ourselves, like, it, it's very hocus pocus, right? It's a very strange thing. You know, it, it sounds like, again, very, like... I don't know, Greek mythology or something. This is not a normal... From Looking at this from religious eyes, right? Does God have this... It, it's too magical, right? It, it doesn't work that way, right? How do people lose, right? It, it, look, it's called the Book of Shoftim, right? We've spoken of this before. If you want to summarize the Book of Shoftim, you can summarize it in two sentences. The Jewish people do what's right, God helps them. They do what's wrong, God punishes them. That's it. That's the entire Book of Shoftim, Okay. Characters change, enemies change, but it's basically the same thing, right? There is never any notion where if you get the magic, you know, sword, or you get the magic potion, or you get the right gems, then you're going to be powerful. That's not a Jewish theme. That this story doesn't really come up, right? This is a very odd thing that there is that, oh, he cut the hair, it's a magical hair, even though it's associated with the mitzvah, it's just a very strange and abnormal type of narrative. Um... Okay, so let's just hold off on that and keep it on the back of our mind. We'll have to revisit that because we're not going to get that far. But now I want you to just read – there's three initial tries that she has. And let's just read the the text carefully to see – um, What actually happens? What he says? What she says? And what happens? We'll see some shifting that's taking place as we as we read these words. So, lila So she turns to her husband and says, Hagida uh, nali bamek gadol. Teach, tell me what with what is your strength so great? Uva la and how you could be bound in order to afflict you. Okay, so this is like a very strange verse. Like, huh, honey, why do you want to know? Right? It's a very very odd text. And it's, I mean, I guess you could go two directions with this. I mean, first and foremost, you have to realize that these are probably, she probably didn't speak Hebrew, right? Um, so anytime we find the Torah speaking, it's always, right, I mean, i use the, the the most obvious example of this. You know, Paro, according to Chazal, did not speak Hebrew. And yet, in the Torah, we find him speaking Hebrew. Okay? So even if you want to take, so what does that tell you? That Clearly, those were not the words he used. He said an idea, and when God wanted to convey that idea, he conveyed it with a certain Hebrew sentence, which conveyed that idea in those words. So these words that we see over here, these are not, there's nothing compelling us to say these are the literal words. So there's obviously a message when it's conveyed in a certain, a certain way. So over here, it's being framed in a way that makes Shimshon look really dumb. I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the simplest way of looking at it.
1: Well, could she have been hinting?
0: Sorry, hinting to him to save him? Could be. Yeah, could she, be. she was trying to play it both ways rather than to felt guilty you are on record uh, so, um, but but uh, it could be and it could be and you know there are those and I have a harder time with this but there are those again going back to that piece before that she didn't want to actually have him killed you know some want to see her in a much more sympathetic light saying listen it was only a matter of time he's aging at this point and they're for sure going to capture him so at least this time they gave her an agreement we're not going to kill him so she's feeling like maybe this is for his own good again certainly still made a mistake and this is not her choice to make but again maybe it's along those lines long- as well, um, that um, I mean, that that she's kind it's of hinting. Just so at, obvious, really. Yeah, it's overwhelming love. But but again, you know, part of this, like we saw this before. Part of this is just simply saying. I, I think the other way of reading this, which which I'm not troubled by at all, is simply saying clearly you have magical powers. I'm your spouse. I want to know you. Right? Remember his first wife. This is exactly what happened. With his first wife. There was a riddle that was completely irrelevant to her life, but it's inappropriate for one spouse to have a secret. And not share it. So here she's married to this person who clearly has supernatural powers, and she wants to understand it, right? So again, knows she f-
1: what happened the first time around.
0: Well, let's let's read. Let's let's read. Well, <laughs> we haven't read it. Let's read it, and 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 I, let's read it again. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> let's see what happens. So, so he tells her Shimshon, "If you take fresh." Like strings, bow strings. Uh, uh, moist ones, like they're their reeds, okay, that they use for bow strings, right? That's how they made bows, with reeds. So freshly uh, harvested ones, that weren't dried. adam. If you tie me up in them, I will be sick, and I'll be like a regular person, okay? So let's see what happens. So the princes themselves go, and they themselves go and harvest, you know, the, the reeds, and they give it to Hashim Yisarim, lachim. Which never dried, And she ties him up. Now, what, let's think about this. Is, is he awake when this is happening? Forget the movie. Is he awake? He is. And I'll prove it to you. Because only later does it say that she, that he's asleep. Okay? And if you psuk him, it's going to say that he's actually asleep. So at this point, he's awake. So what's going on over here? Right? So how would you just explain this? What, what's he doing? What do uh, uh, to some extent In other words What he seems to What seems to be going on Is that she wants to know You know she, Again If you look at this From the perspective Of like a relationship And she's saying You clearly have the secret I want to know it And le- Here let's try it Something along those lines Where she's doing this He's awake He's letting this happen To himself Right Maybe So trying
1: to figure out What
0: is, What trying to do. She, Okay It could be that It's a self-exploration It could be It could be it could be. I mean, it's a very bizarre example, but it could be. Um, but, but alternatively, he knows where basically it's, it's a matter of her wanting to, to know him better, and then he's going along with it, right? But it's, it's basically a game of sorts, essentially some form of a game, okay? So what happens next? Now, let's read those words carefully. O- oriv means what? It's
1: not?
0: It's not ambush. An Ambush. An ambush. An ambush, by definition, means they are... Hiding right, so they are there. We don't know what there means, right? So there, the house in the room, we're not sure exactly, but they're there. And she says, The pelishtim are coming, the pelishtim are coming, and he breaks the strings like a, like a, like a, what's it called, like flax that gets. Uh, consumed immediately by touching, singed by fire just gets completely broken, de koho and there is no and there is no evidence of any strength. You don't have to use any strength. It's just basically just fell apart like basically burning away a piece of string. It just completely dissolves just like that. Okay? Now, does he know that the policemen are there? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The malbim argues that no. They were in hiding. And basically they're waiting to see what happens. They're not as foolish as we think. And Shimshon's not as foolish as we think, right? In, if I remember, right, in, the, in the movie, like, it's just, like, ridiculous, right? And the way we think about it, the way we're taught, they're standing, they run in, and then he breaks free, and, and they all basically, you know, run off, or whatever it is. And
1: then... That would be true, and then I think he would
0: just run after them. Uh, maybe run after them, but also, it would kind of blow, Shim, uh, Deli, you know, Delilah's cover. It would make him ridiculous to want to head go ahead, go ahead of this. Unless you understand that the word o is to be taken literally, they're hiding, Whatever imagination you want to use, how that looks. But they're hiding somewhere. Okay, I know it does say Becheder, so it's a little hard to understand how they'd be hiding in the room. But one way or another, they're hiding. And perhaps they don't, he never finds out that they're there. He breaks free and they're like, we're not touching this guy. We're leaving, right? And basically by demonstrating that he can't break free, they walk away. And I think it just, to me, the alternative is just too unbelievable that I can't even imagine that. I can't just—it's impossible to imagine that over and over again the pelishtim are basically in the house waiting, and they jump out from under the bed, and then he and then he keeps on falling for this with with Delilah. It just—it's it's a little hard to imagine. So uh, the Malbim's approach to me just makes it a little bit easier to understand the narrative that he has no idea that they're there. But
1: Let's keep says,
0: right, and then so what? Bas- oh, sorry. Let me just. Uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. F- f- Stop. Know the Malbim. So what? She, what she says is the whole thing is one big test, right? She ties him up. What's what's the tying up about? So say, so I, I tricked you. Ah, okay. Clearly, you know, I, I was testing you. I wanted to see if I really. I said, oh, fine. He said, you lied to me. Uh-huh. Right. Basically the whole thing was, va- she's putting this whole thing as a, as a, as a charade between lovers. Right. Basically, I want to know your strength. I'm going to test you. And he breaks free from it. She said, you, you're lying to me. Right. It's basically one big charade. Thank you. I didn't clarify that. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's keep on reading. Vatour mitzlila el shemshon. Hine he saltabim. Right now, again, she's playing the relationship card. You're mocking me. Vatz dabrei like zavim, and you said lies to me. Atzagidah na na li ba mete Now tell me the truth. How you're going to be tied up? Okay. Vayomer leha im asar yasruni ba vosim chadashim ashelonas v'amalacha. If you use new ropes, then no work was done with them. Vechalisi ba isigachad adam, and I'll be sick again. Complete. Lie, let's see what happens. She takes them. What's interesting, what happened, what changed? Right, the first time, right there, the first time the Sarney Palishtim were the ones who brought her the strings. Now she's doing it herself. Why? Why does she have to do it herself? Could be. Presumably, though, I would, it would seem that they're lo- they perhaps lost a little bit of faith in her, right? Initially, they're all excited. And then they realize Shimshon's not telling her anything. So forget it, right? Um, so at least they step away. The starting Pelishtim have better things to do than to gamble with this woman who we can't necessarily get a straight answer from. Um, and therefore, she has to go ahead and do it. They're no longer there. And let's see what happens. So she takes him at Astria and ties him up. Vahem, Vatome Love, and again she plays the game. Again, the ambush is there. Same idea. And he breaks them like a string. Okay? So what changed? Two things changed. One thing they had less faith in her, but what else changed? His strength. His strength changed. Meaning what? He
1: had to use more. He
0: had to use some strength. Not a lot, but some strength, right? The first time the Torah went out of its way to say, at the end of verse 9, tests, Vlonoda Kocho. No, his strength was not even, it was, it was nothing. It was literally just like moving. Okay? But now. We see that he is breaking them again. It's like a string, but there is a there is a movement, right? Which we don't, which is I think important to know, right? We we normally assume that there is it's it's you know there's on and off switch, and eventually the switch is going to be turned off. But let's keep on reading, okay? Let's keep on reading what takes place next. So v'atomer z'liel al shimshon, okay? Shim says to shimshon anehina he saltu bevets like zavim hagida li mat'e aser. Okay, teach me. Tell me what I'm and what, how to tie you up. If you weave the seven locks of hair imha with on a loom, then I'll lose my uh, lose my strength. Okay, so she goes ahead and does so. Okay, she ties up his hair and she puts it all. She takes the loom and puts it into a peg. Basically, sticks it into the ground. Again, she says the blishim are coming. Okay, it's the first time we find him asleep. The other times he seemingly allowed her to do it while he was awake. This time he's asleep. We'll come back to
1: that
0: in a second. Well, I want to come back to that in a second. He gets up and what happens is he drags everything with him, right? It doesn't break free. He's not able to just shake it off, right? It actually comes dragging along with him, okay? To me, this sounds like an even furthering sense of a diminishment of strength, right? So, so his hair
1: has strength on
0: own. Well, it's probably thick locks of, you can imagine, I mean, I don't know, very thick locks of hair. He's, you know, at least 40, maybe, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 at this age. You know, he's been growing his hair endlessly. Imagine it's like really, really thick and it's coming, basically dragging along. It's basically just dragging along with him, but there's no breaking apart. He's not, he's not taking it off. It's just basically being schlepped along with him right? So there's a couple of things that I think are, are, are changing over here. So first of all, sleeping. Why does sleeping make sense? Why is he sleeping on the I don't
1: think like, after a third time, let her just try to bind him up. I think it's like you'll okay. get to a point like, okay, what are you trying to
0: do? Okay. Fair. Any other thoughts Why he's sleeping over here? Tired of her games. Tired of her games. Okay. Um... <laughs> Fair. Um, <clears throat> so it could be that the Malbim says that he wouldn't let her do it because at the end of the day, if he starts weaving, taking her hair, his hair, um, what could happen to him? If you start playing her. with his hair, pull hair out, which is already would be in violation of the Naziris, and therefore she, he would never let her do that while he was awake. But I well, think, what
1: would he say that for if she, the last two times she I, I I agree
0: performed that. I, I agree I have a heart I have a heart I, I, I agree ultimately she cl- he clearly knows that she's going to want to do so. but I think perhaps there's a bit of a, a different image that's being painted that that I think we sometimes ignore, and that is that again, let's just take a few steps back. Shimshon was at the pinnacle okay. Sure. yeah. Where We, we had Shimshon at the pinnacle last, last time we studied. We basically saw Shimshon move from obscurity and move from being like an outcast to being the shofi, to being the most important person of the Jewish people. And then he comes tumbling down. We don't know exactly why. We could theorize that, again, he's somebody who doesn't really connect to the Jewish people. Perhaps, again, we could, we could speak as all human beings— Two levels to it. Perhaps he's doing so to kind of force Yehuda to step up, and that's the symbolism of the walls of the of the doorpost to Yehuda. But there's also another part, which is existential loneliness. Shimshon from the first day has more or less been on his own. Whether it's hiding in the cave, Shimshon is someone who doesn't really connect to the others, and he's finding solace with other people who are outcasts, and not finding solace within the Jewish people either. What what we're watching in this chapter really is Shimshon slowly slipping away, and that's the approach Chazal take in general procedure in general, is that Shimshon at this point certainly deviates from the path that he was going on originally. At this point, he has no excuses to involve himself in any polishity women. He can no longer justify it as saying it's going to be, again, part of the personal vendetta. You can't escape the the public persona anymore. He is a Shofet. And so at this point, again, we're watching Shimshon slip. But in some ways, he's also... I think we're almost painting a picture of a person. It's a rather pathetic picture, right? I mean, it's almost... Comical, like you are saying, like we were saying before, that he keeps on telling his wife, you know, do this, do that. We'll see how the last one, how the picture's painted, it's the most pathetic of pictures, how Shimshon is almost, we'll see, like almost lying in her lap as she goes ahead and takes off his hair, right? In other words, Shimshon is basically going from this all-powerful, independent, raging Nazir, leader of the Jewish people, to someone who is going astray, but also slipping. His strength is slipping, Again, it's not just when the hair goes off that all of a sudden loses strength. His hair is slipping. But I think also the notion of him sleeping I think is highly symbolic to the sense that Shem Shun is essentially Done. giving in. Right? Who else sleeps in Tanakh? Ya'aqob
1: yeah,
0: yeah, does, does sleep.
1: Yeah,
0: Lot Gets intoxicated. There's another person who sleeps who also has sister. a... sister. is put to sleep, right? Who puts themselves to sleep? Who puts themselves to sleep? Yona. Right? Yona goes to sleep at in the right? And it's all crazy around him, but he goes to sleep. Why? You know, you look at the commentators. Escape. It's escape but he's given up. He's basically and he gives up at the end of the story again. Yona's like almost again, Yona is a complicated another complicated character, but essentially there's a sense of I'm not pulling the right word, but a sense of, 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 of despondency over here. He's basically just, I don't have a fight in me. Yeah, everyone's drowning around me. I, I just don't have it in me. I'm basically, I'm going to sleep. That, that's, you know, one of the symptoms. You know, if someone's in a deep depression, it's hard to get up in the morning, right? I just, I can't pull myself. Shimshon over here symbolically is basically slipping away, right? He lost his fight. He lost his ability to lead, and he's losing it. He's basically, the, the sleep over here, there's a diminishment of strength, but there's also a, an, idea, an imagery that the Torah is painting for us of Shimshon slowly lulling himself, shutting down. shutting down, lulling himself to sleep, and has lost that energy. Again, as we pointed out before, you know, the typical Nazirus lasts how long? If I say, I'm not saying this, but if I said, I am a Nazir, I become a Nazir for how long? 30, 30, days. 30 days. 30 days, because the whole notion of a Nazir, by definition, is temporary. You can't, it's, it's an expression of intensity, right? This is the idea we saw from Rav Lichtenstein, that the idea of Nasiris is it's a sign, you know, sometimes we feel very inspired. I want to do something. I want to I wanna change. So, to change your entire life is very challenging. But at the very least, I'm going to make this short-term commitment to do something very intense for a little while, then I have to go back to normal life. You know, it's, it's impossible, or almost impossible, to always live on that high, right? We, we, we strive for it, but it's impossible to always live on that high, to always live on that intensity. And it seems like Shimshon. Is, you know, he's lived his life with that intensity, but it seems like it's not just the, the hair that gets cut off and boom, the, the, the strength is lost. It's that Shimshon has already thrown in the towel, he's already falling asleep, and he's already basically paving the way for him to lose his strength. And we'll see what that ultimately looks like. But you do that next week. Thing.